0: Welcome to Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And Rick, this is the seventh weekend of 2022. And it seems like we're covering the same countries and there's dissent all over the world. From Canada, uh, South America, to Europe, to the African continent, and to the Middle East. It seems like we're looking at current events that are really have the world in an upheaval.
1: You're right, Jimmy. We do look at a lot of these same countries over and over again, but they are in Bible prophecy and we are examining the situation in each of these countries. So when something does take place, we are well informed about what's happening.
0: You know, Rick, we want to keep two key thoughts in mind. First of all, that God is sovereign and he is in control over everything. He knows the future and absolutely controls what will happen. And the second thing to remember about the future is that the Bible outlines what will occur in the end times or the latter days. And with that, let's get to our first broadcast partner about what is taking place in the world.
1: Ken Timmerman joins us today. He's our regular broadcast partner, and he's the man that keeps us informed on things that are taking place on a geopolitical scale, which is a very active venue right now as all these things taking place, especially in Russia and the Ukraine. Ken, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Thanks for having
2: me, Rick. It's always a pleasure.
1: Well, Ken, the first thing we would like is an update on what's taking place in Russia and the Ukrainian crisis and and where we are right now.
2: Well, there have been a flurry of meetings in Moscow this week between European leaders in particular and the Russians, and it's like they took out a, a pot full of cold borscht. And threw it against the TV cameras so nobody could really see what's going on. Uh, No one has a clue what's going on. And there is so much obfuscation. uh, There is so much misinformation and disinformation about the Russian troop buildup, about the Russian intentions, and most importantly, uh, from our point of view, of the U.S. position towards all of this. You had this really extraordinary meeting on Monday in the White House between President Biden and the German Chancellor, Schultz, where Biden claimed that they were absolutely 100% on the same page when it came to Ukraine and Russia. Now, I'm sorry, Rick, but nothing could be further than the truth. The Germans have been leading the charge in Europe to backpedal, to put the tanks in reverse and back away from any kind of confrontation with Russia over Ukraine, while the United States has been charging forward quite publicly. You had Biden then telling Americans uh, in a pretty dramatic interview with NBC News, the uh, one of the many communication arms of the Democrat Party, that Americans should get out of Ukraine now and that the U.S. government had no plan whatsoever to rescue them should the Russians invade. But, of course, I've warned Putin not to do that, so he's not going to touch Americans in Ukraine. So which is it? Americans should leave or Americans should stay? and feel confident that Putin won't harm them in any way. Uh, You had Senator Tom Cotton earlier this week also claiming that a Russian invasion was imminent. Well, we don't know that unless Cotton is privy to classified intelligence. uh, As a member of the Armed Services Committee, he ought to be. So is that what the military is telling these senators? They're telling them that a Russian invasion is imminent? If so, what are they basing that on? The presence of those 160,000 troops? Okay, I get that that is pretty belligerent that is a pretty aggressive move but we're going to know pretty soon rick whether putin is intending to use these exercises with belarus on ukraine's northern border as a a pretense for invasion we should know that in the next couple of days those exercises are scheduled to take place starting now and to last until roughly the end of the beijing olympics and of course all of our listeners know I don't want you to watch. (laughs) I don't want you to be (laughs) I don't want you to be financing and supporting the Chinese communist dictatorship. But that's all going to take place over the next 10 days. So we're going to find out pretty soon what Russia's intentions really are. Bluff or invasion.
1: There has been a new role for the French president, Macron. Uh, He seems to be trying his hand at shuttle diplomacy and maybe becoming the premier diplomat in Europe
2: well good luck for the the boy president he he, he was uh, given a, a a cold shower by the russians uh, when he arrived uh, because he refused to take a pcr test administered by the russians he had taken one before he left paris by his own physician even took an antigen test at the french embassy in, Russia, in Moscow uh, on Monday when he arrived for this meeting with Putin. But no, he was not going to take the PCR test administered by the Russians because he was worried they would get a hold of his DNA. Now, that, that, that's actually very interesting, uh, and it's not just because he might be worried about personal blackmail by the Russians, which, by the way, the Russians are not beyond doing something like that. But quite seriously, it was a it was a frosty meeting. Uh, they were sitting at this 12-foot-long, uh, 14-foot-long table in the Kremlin, one at either end, unmasked. But the Russians said, well, we're protecting Putin. We're protecting him, keeping him socially distanced. Well, they don't do that in all their meetings. Uh, they, the Kazakh president came there uh, just a couple of days earlier, and they were sitting side by side. Now, what did Macron think he was going to accomplish? He went there trying to get Putin to give him assurances that he was not going to... In- invade Ukraine. So what did Putin say? He said, oh, I'm not going to invade Ukraine, but NATO is being very aggressive. Well, we all know that. That's Putin's position. He'll say anything that he needs to, to say to pull the wood o- wool over our eyes, or as I said earlier, to throw that pail of cold borscht over the TV cameras. This was more obfuscation. Macron came away from Moscow with absolutely nothing. And by the way, he is one of the pro-war faction inside the European Union, as opposed to the Germans, who are against any kind of confrontation with Russia.
1: Well, Ken, you, you never pull your punches when talking about these guys, and it's so interesting to to hear you talk about them and uh, the way they are operating. And you, you are, again, are uniquely, uh, you have a home in France, so you're uniquely positioned to talk about this situation. Well, the next question I'd like to ask you, much of what we do, we talk about uh, China, we talk about Russia and we talk about Iran. And uh, in a post-COVID world, and in, in the fact that you know you look at the American situation in Afghanistan and how we withdrew there um, and how we're decreasing our presence worldwide, it looks like in a post-COVID world, uh, China, Russia and Iran are looking to expand their alliance as well as their influence in the entire world.
2: I think that's absolutely true. So let's pull back a little bit and, and zoom out that lens and look at the bigger picture, uh, which is the interests aligning China, Russia, and Iran. I'd like to take our listeners back just for an instant to a moment in 1995 under President Clinton. Boris Yeltsin was the president of Russia. And it was, it was revealed just before uh, Clinton went to Moscow to meet with Yeltsin that the Russians had signed a nuclear protocol with Iran, and it turned out that there was a military aspect to this nuclear protocol. Well, what does that mean? That means that the Russians were going to provide under this agreement, nuclear weapons technology to the government of Iran. This was 1995. Now, Yeltsin claimed at that time that he was going to walk that back and, and to eliminate the military aspect. But they still provided technology for Iran's uranium enrichment programs. And we don't know what else by that protocol. At the same time, the Russian high command, the military high command revealed uh, there there were internal documents that were released. And I think it was a purposeful leak because things don't leak out of the Kremlin and that the Kremlin intends for them to leak. There was a purposeful leak that to the military high command, it was in their best interest, in Russia's best interest to see uh, a nuclear armed Iran and an Iraqi government under Saddam Hussein that posed security challenges to the United States. Why? Because that would take America's attention away from Russia. So Russia has a big picture interest in seeing Iran develop as an independent security challenge to the United States because that opens up avenues for greater Russian influence in the Persian Gulf uh, and uh, over Middle East oil. So I think that is what the real backdrop is here. Both the Russians and the Chinese have interests in a strong, potentially nuclear capable uh, Iran because it enhances their security. Russia knows that Iran is not going to threaten them. That has always been the case. And the Chinese. Are getting uh, through this 25-year deal that they recently signed, which, by the way, has led to to protests inside Iran, including inside the regime itself, because they see it as a violation of Iranian sovereignty, giving away to China something that the Iranians have never given away in the whole history of oil uh, over the past 120 years, which is a 25-year deal with the Chinese government under commercial terms, which are absolutely outrageous for the Ar- Iranians. They're getting a cut in the price uh, when they're selling to China, but nevertheless it. So China gets a long-term access to oil. Russia gets the rise of an Iranian power, which can challenge the United States and eventually dominate the Persian Gulf, but be favorable to Russia. So these long-term strategic interests among those three powers to form a loose-knit coalition. Is it a formal alliance? No, uh, but a loose-knit coalition a uh, concert of interests,
1: yes. Fascinating connections there, for sure. I wanted to ask you a really quick question. You said a potentially nuclear Iran. And I've had some questions about this from some of our listeners, and I just wanted you to explain, how will we know if Iran is a nuclear power?
2: Uh, you know, that is a big question and something that people debate all the time. Will they test a nuclear weapon? Will they test a device to show that they are nuclear capable or will they just sort of let the word out? Uh, my, my guess is the Iranians will conduct some kind of test, something to demonstrate, aha, we are a nuclear weapons power now. Don't dare come and attack us. And obviously that's going to be aimed at Israel. Uh, they want to prevent an Israeli attack. Now, will the Israelis allow them to get away with a, with a test without attacking them? That is another big question. And I don't have an answer for that. I tend to think no, but... Uh, we will see what
1: we will see. And we'll be there to monitor it for sure. Ken, you are a wealth of knowledge, and you're invaluable for our listeners to keep us updating on what's going in that portion of the world. So we thank you so much for doing that, and we look forward to doing it again next week.
2: Thanks so much, Rick. It's
0: always a pleasure to be with you. God bless.
3: with Mission Network News. Sunday will mark the five-year anniversary of Pastor Raymond Coe's kidnapping. This Malaysian pastor helped people with HIV-AIDS, recovering addicts, single mothers, and children. But on February 13th, 2017, mysterious attackers dragged him out of his car and he was never heard from again. Todd Nettleton with the Voice of the Martyrs USA says intelligence police may have been involved. Ask God to comfort Pastor Coe's family. In Case van der has always had an interest in theology. Growing up in the Netherlands, he felt a call to serve the global church. So in spring of 2020, he and his family moved to Lebanon, where he began teaching at the Arab Baptist Theological Seminary. He'll teach historical and systematic theology, and he intends to stay in the country despite the financial crisis, pray for his family as they adjust to life in Lebanon, and ask God to strengthen believers across the Middle East and North Africa.
4: Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us
1: online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy Uh, This is the portion of the program where we typically do our Middle East News update. And to do that, we have a longtime broadcast partner, a man that lived as a journalist in Israel for many years. He's also a believer, and he's an excellent person to give us a proper perspective of what's taking place in that part of the world. Dave, thank you for joining us today. Glad to be with you, Rick. Dave, we'll start in Israel and dealing with Syria. There's been several strikes between Israel and Syria. Can you explain to us how that situation is developing there?
5: Well, uh, the latest round began on Tuesday evening when uh, the Syrians say Israeli jets fired rockets. From over Lebanon, they were operating from there, onto some targets near Damascus that are Iranian-backed militia facilities. And uh, what prompted that, Rick, was a sharp uptick in airplanes uh, arriving at Damascus Airport from Iran in recent weeks. So they're obviously reinforcing their supplies at a large pace. This was a weapons depot that uh, the Israelis knew about that they attacked. And Syrian anti-aircraft missiles were fired at the Israeli jets and also uh, at the rockets as they were coming in. And the Syrians said that uh, quite a bit of damage was done. Well, then a few hours later, just after midnight, early Wednesday morning, uh, a Syrian uh, surface-to-air rocket was fired at Israel. And that exploded over north-central Israel, just a few dozen miles south uh, east of Haifa over an Arab town, actually, al Faham, a large Arab town up there in the Wadi Ara area, that was heard all over northern Israel and central Israel. People reported hearing it in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, but certainly in Haifa, Tiberias, and all of the north, as that the rocket exploded and shrapnel was later found near Nablus in the northern Judean area, uh, northern area of Samaria, the West Bank. So uh, that was unprecedented, and then Israel responded that day, later the same day, Wednesday, with another uh, barrage upon um, uh, the Iranian-backed positions around Damascus and also at a couple Syrian air defense systems, the ones that had fired at the Israeli jets. Well, that was uh, followed by the Russian ambassador to uh, Israel strongly denouncing that action, uh, the first and the second actions, and saying this is against international law, it's illegal, we're not going to permit this to continue. It was the strongest uh, statement the Russians have made yet about Israeli activity in syria Well, of course the israeli position is we wouldn't be doing this if iran wasn't up there and if they were not reinforcing their positions if they weren't bringing in heavy armaments for hezbollah and lebanon if they weren't preparing as they say all the time for an attack upon israel so um... it's again this shadow war going on but uh, Russia's role is becoming more worrisome. And also, Rick, the Russians are having a major naval exercise. They're just beginning that at the Syrian port of Tartus in northern Syria. And it's amphibious ground landings, and they're, they're bringing in tanks and whatever. The question is, will those uh, Russian forces remain in Syria? And also, the Russians announced in the middle of the week that 200 soldiers from Belarus which, of course, is allied with Russia and possibly involved in any invasion in Ukraine, uh, that they're heading to Syria to buffer Russian forces in Syria. So all of these are very worrisome developments to Israel and signs that the war is going on. And meanwhile, one last thing, the Iranians announced on Wednesday that they have a new uh, rocket that can go 900 miles, meaning it can hit Israel And it's named the Kaibar Buster. Well, Kaibar was an oasis, is an oasis in northern Saudi Arabia that was a Jewish area. And Mohammed's uh, forces uh, overran it and slaughtered most of the Jews there in the 7th century. So the name of that rocket is clearly aimed at Israel, Hmm. another sign that they are stepping up their war. And they announced at the same time that they are going to continue their ballistic missile program and uh, not stop as any part of any new deal or whatever, they're going to continue on
1: with it. Well, there's several concerning things you just informed us there. I want to ask you about Iran in a second, but let's go back to Russia. Israel and Russia have had, at least in recent years, a somewhat cordial relationship. Do you believe this signals a shift?
5: Well, Rick, the Israelis regard Vladimir Putin as the most pro-Israel leader of Russia in modern times. He has very good relationship with Israeli leaders uh, uh, over a million is Russian Jews are living in Israel, so you know it 's a major language in the country, and the Israelis want to keep those ties intact. They also have close ties with ukraine, so they 're staying well out of that they don 't want to be on either side of that conflict, but if it goes to full war, as we discussed last week, their concern is that Iran will use that as an opportunity to step up actions against Israel and uh, that the reinforcement of Russian forces in Syria is not a good sign. And the hardening of their position against Israeli strikes there is definitely not a good sign. So they're very worried that these ties are weakening and that Putin has other bigger goals than being friends with Israel. Uh, especially, of course, um, the NATO expansion and the things he talks about all the time. So they're worried about it. They'd like to keep the ties close, especially as ties are weaker than they were, certainly, under the Trump administration with the U.S. So they want that alliance to continue if it can.
1: David, you also spoke of Iran and that interestingly named a missile that they have. This goes to some reports that have been coming out of Israel that they are looking at an intense new arms buildup, that they did an internal security threat assessment. And it seems like uh, there's general consensus that they're going to be building up arms in the near future.
5: Well, the truth Rick is that both Iran and Israel are building up arms. Uh, They're both recognizing that there is going to be a showdown Again, uh, Israel has no beef inherently with Iran. They've never fought an actual war with Iran before. They didn't invite them into Syria, didn't invite them into Lebanon, in Yemen, in the Gaza Strip. But that's the reality. Iran is on the war path, basically. And um, as I said, the uh, head of their ballistic missile program said on Wednesday that they're going to step this up. They're going to resupply. They're going to keep on arming. And the Israelis are increasing their um, spending, as uh, we've said, and also these training exercises have been increased in recent months. So it looks like we're heading for a showdown. And as I said last week, if war breaks out in Europe, the assessment is that's most likely going to spread to the Middle East in a major way. And uh, these Russian exercises off the coast of Syria are not helpful either.
1: Well, this leads to my final question, and I'd just like to get your, in the last minute or so that we have here, I'd like to get your thoughts on the Israeli Prime Minister Bennett basically saying, and and specifically he said exactly, the United States has been and will always be our best friend. But then he says, and this is a big but, he said, Washington has its own set of interests, which we must honestly admit do not always overlap with ours. Very interesting statement by Prime Minister Bennett.
5: It was. It was given at a conference in Tel Aviv at the university there, and uh, he was just speaking what people are saying is real politic, that uh, although America's Israel's closest ally, in the 50s and 60s that was not the case. It was France and Britain that were Israel's closest allies. Then with the growing uh, Cold War... Uh, Israel uh, became closer to the states as a buffer against Soviet actions and expansion, but now the Soviet Union is gone. Israel has relations with Russia and its its interests do not always align with America's. And of course, they have a different view of the Palestinians. This, of course, is with the new Biden administration. They were on the same page completely, I would say, with the Trump Mm. administration, but that's changed. We've gone back to the more traditional Democratic Party um, resistance. And then with the growing squad uh, influence in the Congress amongst the Democrats, they feel like they have less of an alliance than they did before with the U.S. and have to look to other places. And they're doing that. They have growing ties with China and India and uh, uh, Mediterranean countries. So all this is happening. And uh, it's just part of history.
1: Well, David, a quick follow up on that question i 've always heard the statement Elections have consequences, and uh, the the president, the current administration that we have does have a different view or a different opinion, and this is one of those things, especially the people that are concerned about the welfare of Israel need to remember as uh, future elections take place. Is that correct?
5: I would say so it's an important issue, and uh, I believe America's been blessed by being a strong defender of Israel in recent decades. And of course, Truman, uh, the president, was the first foreign leader to recognize the new Jewish state. So it's not as if there haven't been good ties from the start, but they were strained in the 1950s with the Suez Canal War, and um, only resumed really strong relations under President Nixon in the early 70s.
1: Well, David, thank you so much. We appreciate you coming on to educate our listeners, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Glad to do it, Rick. God bless. We're going to take a break right now on Prophecy Today, but we will be back. Stay tuned for more of Prophecy Today Radio.
4: Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set, every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8Prophecy8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today, and I really do love how Dave Dolan brings it all together, Rick, with uh, the Middle East News update and from week to week. You know, our, our our listeners get very comfortable with and they trust men like Ken Timmerman, David Dolan. You know, we're not overreaching when we talk about Bible prophecy. We're really talking about and we're understating the events that are going to take place that are listed in Bible prophecy.
1: We're certainly not sensationalizing, Jimmy. We are actually looking at events that are unfolding and then just pointing out this is actually setting the stage for what the Bible says is going to take place.
0: It sure does. And that's why we examine and we look at China. Uh, And I know that uh, as uh, we're getting ready to talk to Colonel Bob McGinnis today, as we talk to him, I just want you to understand that China does play a role. We're going to talk about the man on the street in China later on, but right now we need to take a very aerial view of what China's role is, not only today, but in the future. And I have on the line with me retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel
1: Bob McGinnis. He's been with us before. He's a frequent contributor on our program. He's a frequent contributor with many different news services. He served in the Pentagon. Um, He's uh, an excellent authority to go to for uh, things that are taking place in the world. He's He's also an established author as well. Thank you for joining us, Bob.
6: I'm glad to be with you, Rick.
1: What I really wanted to talk to you about today, we've been bombarded this week in the news, and I've only watched just a little bit of the opening ceremonies. I typically like the Olympics, but uh, this one seems like it's an infomercial for China, specifically for Chairman Xi. I would like your thoughts on this and what you think about how these Olympics are playing out across the world.
6: Well, certainly Chairman Xi was, before he became chairman and president of the People's Republic of China, uh, was a provincial leader. And in 2008, uh, four years before he became the national leader, he ran the Olympics uh, of 2008 Summer Games. Uh, That was a great success, uh, certainly based upon uh, what the presidium, uh, the leadership, uh, Politburo Standing Committee said. And so he, I think, was ushered in to a certain degree because of that. Now, there are many other reasons, uh, more precisely because of the deep-seated corruption within the Communist Chinese Party. Uh, and you know some of the attributes, such as his being a true Marxist ideologue, brought him to power. Uh, but since that time, and of course uh, here recently, you know, he's recognized that his future may be linked to uh, the current. 2022 winter olympic games and as a result he's doing his best to hmm. you know certainly make it a success it's not and in my estimation from a western perspective you know doing all that well and in spite of those in the united states such as nbc news and others that are you know, fanning the flames of support for chairman chi uh, it has its issues now of course you know, over the weekend this past weekend uh, Chairman Xi met with a host of foreign delegations uh, represented by uh, presidents from Europe, uh, South America, uh, certainly Asia, uh, that were there to celebrate uh, the accomplishment of having the 2022 Games. But uh, I think most notable was the presence of President uh, Vladimir Putin out mm-hmm. of uh, the Russian Federation. And of course, they issued uh, on Friday, the 4th of February. A joint statement, 5,000 word long, which essentially, even by you know the Biden administration's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, uh, who said it really looks like an alliance is being formed. Well, hmm. uh, back in 2018, I wrote a book that basically, you know, the Alliance of Evil, which said that we are indeed facing down a new alliance. It's with Russia and China. Uh, And the evidence has been there. So all of a sudden, people are coming to that conclusion. So uh, yes, uh, the Olympics are important to Xi, but so is his economy. Uh, So are a host of other issues that are right on his plate that uh, the Chinese have to uh, somehow come to grips with.
1: I would like to ask you in just a second about that relationship with Vladimir Putin, because that's very interesting. But in your opinion, if these games aren't as successful, is that hurt Chairman G, or is, is, is he in trouble?
6: Well, of course, he's serving out his second term as president, and the CCP has rewritten the party's History, so that it could usher in a third term and perhaps beyond that, uh, much like Vladimir Putin is essentially President for life of the Russian Federation, mm-hmm. uh, I suspect that uh, you know, unless something happens that is really disastrous uh, that President Xi this fall uh, will get his third term, uh, but you know anything 's possible uh, given that uh, the elite of the Communist Chinese Party installed him in 2012, believing that he was the, the right you know, mix of ideologue as well as hard party loyalists. They hope that he can continue uh, to do the right sorts of things. After all, he has built up the military. Uh, he has established uh, a host of programs, such as the Belt and Road Initiative, which now encompasses 140 nations around the world. Uh, President Xi has done a lot of what the party uh, elite wanted him to do. Uh, but it's a balancing act. Uh, we've seen from the time of Chairman Mao uh, taking over in 1927, and of course uh, being the party leader uh, when they formed the People's Republic in China in 1949, uh, he's really been you know, the the headwind for the direction of the party. But the party lost its way uh, to a large degree in the 1990s because of the economic revolution uh, that uh, really brought massive corruption. And now, of course, she's trying to fix that. And, you know, one of the things that he was given as a mandate was to, you know, reverse party corruption, replace it with, The ideology of Marxism, and I think he's done a reasonably good job from their perspective, but the challenges are not going to cease. He'll continue to face uphill uh, battles, uh, not the least of which, of course, are economic challenges as well as demographic challenges as they suffer from a declining birth rate.
1: Well, in the little bit of the Olympics that I did watch, the opening ceremonies, Chairman Xi was there and he was ever-present as the different nations walked in, but President Putin was there as well. What is the nature of their relationship? Do they view each other as allies?
6: Well, they do view each other as allies. They've essentially said that in their 5,000-word joint statement released a week ago. So uh, there's no doubt that they collaborate on technologies uh, they sell one another their their goods and pro, pro, products. You know, Huawei is in Moscow, and you know Russian gas flows into Beijing. Uh, so on you know, ide- ideologically, they're pretty well aligned. Uh, security-wise, they do joint exercises, share technologies for you know, all sorts of weapon systems. Uh, certainly, economically, as I pointed out, you know, their are exchanges. Uh, they, they are uniformly against uh, Western uh, you know, international order, and that's why they, they vote together at the United Nations. They, they have similar views in the World Health Organization, uh, certainly in the World Trade Organization they work together. Uh, and, of course, uh, when you look at technology, uh, they're pretty well in lockstep. Um, and the West views both of them in much the same way, and of course, uh, they use their means to go after us through cyber and through other mechanisms to undermine our viability in, in certain uh, fora. So, you know, yeah, it's it's an interesting combination, but I'm totally convinced uh, we're very much engaged in a new Cold War. Uh, It's not lockstep with the old one, as I point out in my 2018 book, Alliance of Evil, but all the pieces of a Cold War are in place.
1: And when you say a Cold War, sometimes when I look at it, and I've I've recently been looking at the former Soviet Union, and uh, this new iteration, I guess, of China. And they're reaching out across the world, the Belt and Road Initiative, the different things that they're doing. It very much reminds me of the aspirational growth of the Soviet Union. Is that what you're saying? Our new Cold War is with China?
6: Well, it's with China. And of course, the, the second partner is is Russia. There's no question that Vladimir Putin is hegemonic and ambitious to form a new buffer and that's why we're finding you know his push back in ukraine his push back in the baltics as well as poland all the way down to turkey uh... he's very aggressive uh... and and so is Qi, you know we, he no doubt will probably try to retake taiwan you know, over the next year or so uh, he's already claimed the south china sea as his sovereign territory in spite of what the international community says and of course Belt and Road Initiative is his effort to expand uh, global influence uh, so that you know, he can uh, create a new world order uh, across all the uh, major power knobs out there. Uh, he's doing precisely that and doing a very good job, quite frankly.
1: In your perspective, and and based on your experience, I've heard some things, uh, people saying like Russia was waiting to invade Ukraine until after the Olympics because of his ally, Chairman Xi, he didn't want to overshadow the Olympic Games. But after these Olympic Games are over, either from a Chinese perspective, maybe in Taiwan, or from a Russian perspective, maybe in Ukraine, is there anything that we should be watching out for and be on the alert for?
6: Well, there are a number of things that are taking place. Uh, The timing of the Olympics, if you go back to 2014 when the Winter Olympics were in Sochi, Russia, Putin, of course, waited to the end of that game before he uh, mounted an offense that took in Crimea and eastern Ukraine, and then he pulled back. Of course, he accomplished what he wanted. He annexed Crimea, and, of course, that upset all the people in Western Europe. And he sparked the insurgency that continues today in eastern Ukraine. And, of course, they've declared two basically provinces of eastern Ukraine as independent and aligned with Russia. You know, one out of five Ukrainians, as it is, are ethnic Russian. And that's why, to a certain degree, Mr. Putin believes that it's critical that Ukraine maintain independence from Western Europe. That's why he didn't want it to be a NATO member are a member of the European Union, yeah, he wants to be part of the Russian Federation, and historically it has been aligned with Moscow, but uh, that 's not something that you know we we necessarily recognize and with regard to know yeah, it wasn't until uh, the KMT uh, broke off after the end of their civil war and really went over to Taiwan. Uh, that uh, the communists eventually took over in 1949 and formed the People's Republic of China. Uh, But, you know, by and large, they've always, in mainland China, considered Taiwan to be uh, a province, uh, a breakaway province uh, that needs to be tethered back to the mainland. And that's why President Xi understands the nationalism associated with that. You know, if you go back decades when the first... Artillery was shot at the small island right off the, the mainland coast that's associated with Taiwan. That was used by Chairman Mao, I think in 1958, to you know, really rev up nationalism and you know, cause the whole issue of a breakaway Taiwan to be uh, something of a patriotic call for unification and on chi 's just taking advantage of that uh, he needs that sort of rallying call amongst the, the Chinese because of the many issues that they face today, you know which i 've mentioned earlier, the demographic issues, the economic issues, uh, and of course the ideological issues uh, you know the, he, he is fighting a uphill battle, much like the the Marxists of the former Soviet Union under Lenin and Stalin, as you Qi know, today faces. Uh, a major challenge, especially from the religious community. Today there are arguably 150 million Christians there, Mm -hmm. and their numbers are expanding maybe at 7% per year, Mm -hmm. and could by mid-century certainly be in excess of 400 million people. So that and the fact that, of course, they have problems with the Uyghur Muslims, the problems with the Falun Gong, and others uh, these are not insignificant challenges that uh, mr chi is facing so if he can circumvent that with uh, a rallying cry around you know retaking taiwan uh, albeit momentarily uh, he'll do precisely that
1: well, that's an excellent bit of hope as you see the Christian community growing there. And sometimes the communities does grow in face of persecution. Well, uh, Colonel McGinnis, thank you so much. Colonel McGinnis is a prolific author. The book that he mentioned was Alliance of Evil, and that's specifically talking about what we're talking about right now with China and Russia. But he has several other books, and they can be found wherever you buy your books. So Colonel McGinnis, thank you so much for joining us today, and we look forward to talking to you again soon.
6: Well, thank you, Rick. Have a good day.
0: Well, Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis uh, always gives us the information pertaining to, uh, he's a China watcher. Uh, We watch China. We're watching what they're doing. And not only that, but he watches the Ukraine and uh, many aspects of Europe and around the world, geopolitical aspects of the program. Well, you know, in this time, and it seems like we are always focusing on trouble spots, and really that's what we're watching as we read God's word. We understand why the world is acting as it is, and so we keep our eyes on those things. But, you know, in this time uh, of deep division in our country, there can be a tendency to sense that there's no hope in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, And on the program with us today is is no stranger to our program with David Kistler. We have you on our video, uh, Is the United States and Bible Prophecy? You did a fantastic job, and I would encourage, I'll tell people how to to go to get that. But uh, welcome to the program today. Well, Jimmy, thank you so much. And I want to say this
7: about your dad. He was one of my great friends Uh, We suffered a great loss when uh, the Lord took him home, but heaven is far richer. But boy, what a delight to share radio time with him and then to do the video is America and Bible Prophecy there in front of the United States Capitol. That was just a highlight of my life. And to be able to do it with your dad was a great blessing. So Uh, I appreciate the opportunity and to be on today.
0: Thank you. Thank you. It was a special time for sure. I remember that day and we were fighting the light. Uh, You know, if you know anything about video making, we were trying to get that light. and Dad wanted that one spot and we were getting it in there. And that's the first time that I met your son. And tell us about, because your son is very much involved with you in the ministry of Hope to the Hills. Tell us about your son, Nathan. He's very much involved in the ministry of Hope to the Hill. Uh, and tell us about the ministry itself well jimmy uh years ago about 1999 i had a burden to do a crusade in washington dc
7: and of course i'm a full-time evangelist Mm. and we have a massive tent that uh, we set up on the national mall and from there it developed into a second crusade and then a third on the national mall a couple of years later and
0: then wait a second wait david wait a second you set up a revival tent on, on the national mall we sure did,
7: Jimmy. It's, uh, it's an amazing story. The chief of the park service at the time was a committed Christian. The Lord connected us with him, and he said, Dave, I'm going to make sure you're, you're not only going to have a great week on the Mall, you're going to be the only thing going on that week on the National Mall, and he didn't just say that he did it. And so we preached the gospel twice a day, uh, at 1 o'clock in the afternoon to capture the lunch crowd, and then at 7.30 at night.
8: Mm. And
7: had no idea the Lord would open up more doors for us beyond that, but ultimately two, two opportunities as well in the Pentagon. And the Lord just kept increasing my burden for an ongoing 24-hour-a-day presence on Capitol Hill. That's where our son comes in. Uh, Our son is a gospel musician. He traveled for years with groups like the Hoppers and the Neelands. He ended up marrying Amber Neelan of the Neelands. But uh, he had a burden for Capitol Hill. As a 12-year-old, he followed me around through the halls of Congress. Hmm. I didn't realize, Jimmy, he was paying as much attention to what was going on as he was, but he was. And the Lord just gave him a burden for that. And for now, the last six years he's been uh, our point man our director of our ministry on capitol hill and of course hope ministries international is the overarching ministry hope to the hill is our dc arm
0: hope to the hill you have a ministry of meeting with uh congressional and uh, and senate leaders and praying with them on both sides of the aisle correct that is correct jimmy we um we
7: minister to those on both sides of the aisle. We love them equally. Obviously, I have strong political positions.
8: <laughs> I'm, not
7: a, I'm not afraid or hesitant to mention those. But when we get to Capitol Hill, uh, that really goes to the background, and we really try to focus on the spiritual needs of those on Capitol Hill. So yes, we've been in the offices of those that are Democrats, those that are Republicans. We've prayed with both. And I could tell you some stories. I don't want to mention names today, but right. some of those that are in the news very regularly that You know, many Christians would have a real problem with the policy positions of those individuals. Uh, We've been in their office praying with them, and really the need of most of them is they need Jesus Christ as Savior. So our prayers include the gospel and uh, just trying to minister to them on the spiritual plane, and it's been really quite amazing. Uh, I don't don't have time to go into a lot of detail, but some of the stories we could tell really have been
8: phenomenal.
0: Well, I encourage people to go to your website, hopetothehill.com. Well, let me ask you this. I know that you're involved in Washington, D.C., and I know that uh, your ministry is there and you're working. What do you see in in the future for us in 2022 and beyond in the midterm elections? What do you see as going to be some of the the most important uh, topics that we need to be aware of as a body of believers?
7: Well, Jimmy, that's a great question. Let me let me say this. I think what uh, what's going to be most significant, or one of the most significant, is this case that was argued before the United States Supreme Court, and mm. that is the Mississippi abortion law.
8: Mm.
7: Uh, I listened to that entire case, and you cannot always tell uh, how the justices are going to vote from listening to the questions they pose, but many times you can. And I am incredibly, incredibly hopeful that what's going to happen is when this decision is announced, probably around. June the 22nd, that it's going to be a major victory for life in the United States of, of America, and it's going to start the process of remanding this entire issue of life back to the states. And somewhere in the neighborhood of 37, 38 states have already indicated, either by you know statements or by the laws they've already enacted, that abortion is going to be significantly limited, if not ultimately done away with altogether. So I think we sit on the very precipice of seeing Roe versus Wade uh, overturned in our lifetime, something that years ago I would have never, never believed. The other thing, Jimmy, that I think is going to be very important in the midterm elections, and I do see a potential red wave coming uh, because of everything that's been going on and the dissatisfaction on the part of the American people toward the the Biden administration. Mm. But I think religious liberty issues are going to be at the at the forefront and at the core of everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And of course, our ministry is not really a policy ministry, though we do deal with that somewhat. Mm. Uh, But I would sure love to see these policy positions, um, you know, the life of the unborn. I'd love to see that overturned completely so that life is respected and honored again in America. And I would love to see unmitigated religious liberty once again celebrated and lived out in the United States.
0: Again, I'm talking to Dave, David Kistler of uh, Hope to the Hills and his ministry. He's an evangelist. He's got a ministry in Washington, D.C., praying and helping and giving to uh, our uh, political leaders that are there, both sides of the aisle. Uh, Dave in the last couple of weeks we've been talking about a systematic world philosophy that seems to be from Satan coming into being not just um you know around the world as far as from Europe and different aspects but here certainly in America do you see that do you feel that and do you think that the light that you're providing in our nation's capital is helping to uh, to to dispel the darkness
7: I do, Jimmy. In fact, I see everything you're talking about. One of the reasons I loved your dad so much is he was so uh, much in tune and had his fingers on the pulse of what was going on prophetically around the world. And even within the context of the United States, there's a different feel right now. Even even lost people will say, you know, what's going on in our mm-hmm. country just feels different right now. And I think all of that is because we are, we are walking down or driving down a road that's been paved for the arrival of the man of sin, the Antichrist, mm. that's going to come onto the world stage in the end time. However, let me say this. I am incredibly hopeful, and here's why. If you remember in the book of Jonah, uh, God told uh, Jonah, go to Nineveh and and proclaim this message, and the message was was unequivocal, yet 40 days in Nineveh not might be destroyed, but Nineveh shall be rest- mm. destroyed. It was a done deal. But when he preached after we God finally got him there, you know, through the,
4: mm-hmm. a tread
7: through a, a whale's belly, um, <laughs> and he preached, you know, starting at the top, going all the way down, the people and the leadership repented, and God gave them more time. You know what? I hold out great hope that God's going to give the United States at least one more opportunity for a revival in our day, and I'm seeing some hints to that all across the United States. It's not everywhere, but there are hot spots where revivals are already taking place on the local level, I'm just praying it erupts into a mighty prairie fire of revival all across the length and breadth of the United States.
0: Well, again, hope to the hill dot com. David Kistler, his son Nathan, they're involved there. He's got uh, a staff of people up there that go through the halls of Congress, um, uh, giving the gospel, praying with those that want it, and you know, it's interesting. Um, we, we thought that, and I do think that, you know, there is a a timeline and there's a systematic philosophy that is coming in that is from Satan and the antichrist that will come on the scene. But I do see people reaching out and searching. Don't you that, uh, man, there's gotta be something else and, and they're looking for an answer and the hope. And we get that from the scriptures, don't we?
7: we sure do it's not only nationwide it's on capitol hill one of the one of the most encouraging things we've seen over the last 12 months is an understanding among those that represent us in the house in the senate at the high court even in within the executive branch that the answers to america's ills and to the global ills have nothing whatsoever to do with politics and so we know the answer is spiritual the answer is Mm -hmm. jesus And when you have those that are the good guys on Capitol Hill, those that do love Jesus, and there are a number of them that do, when they begin to understand that there's great hope Jimmy for uh, God to potentially do something of a reviving nature in our nation
0: yes we're encouraged to pray uh, in fact we're admonished to pray for those that are in authority over us and and God does use according to revelation he uses world leaders to accomplish his will so let's uh let's let's just keep praying that god's will be done and uh, that that answer that we have will continue to go out but uh, What can we pray for you in your ministry, David? Well, Jimmy, let me say this. We just moved our offices uh, from... Where we were to
7: about uh, I mean literally walking distance from the Capitol, I wish wow. I could show you a picture of what <laughs> god 's done it 's a three story building and it 's phenomenal uh, we 're able to put our ministry offices there and we 're right in the middle of everything going on. A number of members of Congress live on the in the houses that that are on either the left or right of where our ministry office is going to be, so being that close. Uh, just gives us greater impact into their lives. So pray that God will give us wisdom, that God will create an increasing thirst and appetite on their part for the Word of God, and that we'll be sufficient in the power of the Holy Spirit to stand up and communicate as we should to those so that they can be impacted eternally for the glory of God.
0: Amen and amen. Well, David Kistler, hope to the hill, com is the website. Go there, visit them and keep them in prayer. And uh, uh, thank you for joining us today on the program. My delight, Jimmy. God bless. Rick, as I talked to David Kistler about our video, Is the United States in Bible Prophecy? Help us to figure out how can people, if they wanted to get that, and I think it's so very important for the times in which we're living, how could people get that video?
1: Well, Jimmy, if you go to our website at prophecytoday.com, of course, you'll find a bookstore there, and we have this video there, and we highly recommend this video, Shot on Location, as you said. And it's an excellent video for, for people wanting to understand America's role in Bible prophecy. And then if you go to our website, there's all kinds of other things that you could do. We would love for you to be a regular visitor. You could see our top news stories. You could look at our daily devotions. You can follow along with our podcast and radio programs programs as well. So please go to prophecytoday.com. We would love to have you visit our website.
0: Well, we got to take a break and when we come back the legacy series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and he's speaking and it's starting in the book of Revelation. Can't wait. Right here on Prophecy Today weekend. <laughs> Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. And along with my brother, Rick, we do examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And we keep our eyes constantly on what's happening around the world, Rick. And we use Bible prophecy as the foundation that helps us to understand what's going on. And I think as we stated earlier, we are really not overreaching when we look at these events. These are the nations that are talked about in Bible prophecy.
1: They certainly are. And as you study Scripture and you look at what the Bible says is going to take place in the future, I feel like you couldn't write a script, Jimmy, that would set the stage in a better way for what the Bible says is going to take place in the end times. There sure
0: are. You know, as we read Bible prophecy, it should have an effect on our lives. In fact, I think, you know, really the first is obedience. By reading what the Word of God says, we understand how close that we are to the rapture of the church and how important it is to be obedient, to live in a life that's dedicated and consecrated to serving the Lord. I've been studying the Old
1: Testament recently, and you look at the Old Testament prophecies and how they were fulfilled with the coming of Christ in the New Testament, and we think now, okay, we've got all these prophecies that are going to take place in the future, and we have the assurance those Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled, now we look at all these prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled, and we have the assurance that they're going to take place exactly as they're written in the Scripture because of what has already happened.
0: Well, today on our Legacy Series, we're going to focus on the last book of the Bible with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. I want to remind you that uh, several things about Bible prophecy in this series as we are studying it, at least one-third of God's Word is Bible prophecy. That's one out of every three pages. And that's a very important reason for studying Bible prophecy. In our study today, you may have a question about why has Jesus not already shouted for us to join Him in the heavens at the rapture? Another question might be, Why are there so many people who even today deny that Jesus Christ is coming back soon and they doubt that Jesus will keep his promise of coming back and to call us into the heavenlies? You know, as we read and we watch the world acting as it is, we need this help to help us to understand that. So today we're going to focus on the book of Revelation, but we need to answer a few questions first with
9: Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. I think we're getting closer and closer every day. There's never been a time in history when all the current events that are unfolding today are exactly what the prophetic scenario lays out in God's Word. Never in history has it been exactly like this. There is one reason that Jesus Christ has not come back yet, and that is 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The only reason that Jesus Christ is not here on the earth right now is that he is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to know him. That's 2 Peter 3.9. 2 Peter 3.12 says that if you want to hasten the coming of the Lord, win people to Jesus Christ. And that is the purpose of studying Bible prophecy. Bible prophecy and missions conferences go very well together. Because missions is reaching out to the world and winning people to Jesus Christ. Prophecy is helping you to understand the urgency of the moment and the reason that we need to get out there quickly because at some point the Lord is not going to allow it to go any farther and He's going to come back. There's a fullness of the Gentiles, not the times of the Gentiles, but the fullness of the Gentiles, which is over in Romans chapter 11 and verse 25. And that is talking about when the last Gentile in this church program This church period of time is completed. The last Gentile comes to know Christ and uh, then he comes back. But at this point, the reason he's hesitated, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so we need to understand the times in which we're living. I tell you, Daniel never got tired of wanting to know more information about how close it is and comparing it and hearing it again and studying for three weeks laying on his face, chapter 10, book of Daniel, wanting to have the Lord or the heavenlies respond to his prayers. And so we need to continue to study Bible prophecy. I do not say take Bible prophecy and just study that and put aside all other Bible studies. That would be ridiculous as well. Bible prophecy is only one third of the book, but it must be included I would encourage you to spend more time in studying Bible prophecy. If you have not been doing that, at least I would say a third of the time, that's a third of the Bible, and you can deal with these issues as you go through the Word of God. Let me also remind you there's a principle over in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 that says, there's no prophecy of private interpretation. Now, I've taken you to different locations in the Word of God, Let me just remind you, you cannot take one prophecy over here out of a prophetic passage, say the book of Obadiah, and have it negate something that Ezekiel says. They have to go together. No prophecy, a private interpretation. It was the same person, the Holy Spirit of God, who breathed into these men what he wanted to have known. You can't have Zephaniah negate the book of Revelation. Or you can't have Nahum uh, negate the book of Ezekiel. Uh, Daniel, they all have to fit hand in glove together. So uh, remember, as you study Bible prophecy, if it seems to be contradicting something, that is not the case. You have to just simply go back and spend a bit more study and understanding how that comes together. As we come now to the book of Revelation, this book basically takes everything that I have been speaking on And lays it out for us and gives us an end time scenario that will help us to understand the times in which we're living. Remember we started the study by looking at Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. Jesus said, I am he that was alive and dead and now stand before you alive. That was guaranteeing that he was who he said he was and can do what he said he would do. And it will happen what he said will happen. And that's the entire book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, look at chapter 1, verse 1, just a moment, comes from God the Father. Look at this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, speaking about Jesus Christ, to show unto the servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he, Jesus Christ, sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So there's a number of steps there from God the Father, who gives the information, the message to Jesus Christ, who passes along to an angel he has designated. And then that angel basically gives it to John the Revelator. And John is able to pin these pages of prophetic information so that we can understand exactly what is going to happen. This comes from directly from the God the Father. Revelation is a culmination of all of uh, the Word of God, what it has to say. But it's a culmination of all of end-time prophecy and brings it all together so we can understand it. I want you to understand that you must study it not numerically, but chronologically. You cannot approach your study and go chapters 1 to 22 and have a real understanding of the book of Revelation. You have to understand it chronologically. That being the case... What I want to do is give you a simple plan to understand it chronologically, and then I want to go more detailed and take you through the book of Revelation chronologically. Let's go to Revelation and let me take you through just exactly what I gave you. Chapter 1, we see the person and the power of Jesus Christ. His power is his resurrection, verse 18. From verse 12 to 17, It describes the person of Jesus Christ. White hair, meaning he is eternal. And it looks at him, his countenance, his face as the sun shineth in its very strength. It talks about him, his feet being as if they've been burned and uh, 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 of brass and been burned in a furnace depicting his judgment, his eyes as flames of fire, indicating that he sees all. Chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation would be letters to seven churches. There are churches that were alive, when John wrote the book in 95 AD, but they also represent periods of church history as well as their characteristics are evident in churches that are still alive today. Chapter 4, verse 1, we see the rapture. After this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. I'll not rehearse that again. But that depicts the rapture of the church. And remember the last phrase, after calling us up, come up hither. I will show thee the things which must be hereafter. The rest of chapter 4 and chapter 5 are a throne room scene. And in that throne room scene, we see God the Father seated on the throne. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne. That is God the Father. Remember I told you Jesus Christ is not now on his throne. His kingdom is yet to come and it's key in your understanding of Bible prophecy. God the Father was on the throne. He had a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. It was not in the form of the book like we have it bound today, but instead a scroll, and not two scrolls, not two rolls, but instead one scroll, and at the top of it, keeping the flap from un- opening up, was a waxed seal. And in this book contained the 21 judgments that I talked about, seven trumpet judgments, seven seal judgments, and seven vile judgments. This is how the Lord is going to move forward to bring the earth under subjection and submission and also earth dwellers under submission. Somebody asked, and the elders are there in the throne room around God the Father who's seated on the throne. Somebody said, Who's going to open the sealed book? And one of the elders said, What about Jesus? He was pure, perfect, holy, without sin. And so it says that he took the book from God the Father. And he was able then... Look what it says in verse 7. he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And he goes forth now. This is the title deed to the earth. It's the scroll that contains all 21 judgments, which get progressively worse as you go through. But it is the title deed to the earth. He has to have control of the earth before he goes into his kingdom. Chapter 6 now... Is the beginning of those sealed judgments. And let me show you who opens the sealed book. Some people want to talk about these judgments, the first five or six of the sealed judgments, as the wrath of man. That's not true. This is the wrath of God. How do I know? Because I know who opens the seal, I know who takes that seal and cracks it and opens the judgments upon the earth. Look what it says in verse one of chapter six. And I saw when the lamb, that's Jesus Christ, when the lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. And that first sealed judgment that is broken is the antichrist but look at verse 2 and i saw and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him had a bow and a crown was given unto him and he went forth conquering and to conquer that is depicting the antichrist why do i know that because that bow does not have any arrows meaning he establishes a peace for a season crown on his head trying to replicate the crowns that jesus will come back wearing as told to us in chapter 19 He's on a white horse, just like Jesus will come on a white horse. This is the Antichrist. This is the first seal that is opened in the first judgment of the 21 judgments that will be released. Chapter 13 gives the detailed information about the Antichrist. So if you're reading and studying through Revelation, you come through chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, then go to chapter 13 and spend more time studying there. Then you come back to the second seal judgment, verse 3. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. Power was given unto him thereon to take peace from the earth. That is the seal of war. And those are the wars that we're talking about In the book of Daniel chapter 11, Ezekiel chapter 38, Psalm chapter 83. That's when these judgments unfold. There's a major war at the end of the seven-year tribulation. That's called the Battle of Armageddon, or as I refer to it, the campaign, because it starts in Jerusalem and then moves to the Jezreel Valley. But at the beginning, the first six months of the tribulation period, this war unfolds that is found and detailed in Ezekiel 38, Daniel 11, and Psalm 83. These three passages, Daniel 11, Psalm 83, and Ezekiel 38, give us the details of the second sealed judgment, the man on the red horse that takes peace from the earth. These nations, listed in these three prophetic passages, are the names of nations in our world today that you would recognize. And indeed, they are all aligning themselves against the Jewish state of Israel.
0: Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. The truth is, the prophecy of this war that happens in the first six months of the seven year tribulation could begin almost at any moment. That means the rapture, which happens before this war, the rapture could happen at any moment. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk to a Christian missionary in China, right here on Prophecy Today weekend. Every
4: believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy.
3: I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Sunday will mark the five-year anniversary of Pastor Raymond Coe's kidnapping. This Malaysian pastor helped people with HIV-AIDS, recovering addicts, single mothers, and children. But on February 13th, 2017, mysterious attackers dragged him out of his car and he was never heard from again. Todd Nettleton with the Voice of the Martyrs USA says intelligence police may have been involved. Ask God to comfort Pastor Coe's family. In Case van der has always had an interest in theology. Growing up in the Netherlands, he felt a call to serve the global church. So in spring of 2020, he and his family moved to Lebanon, where he began teaching at the Arab Baptist Theological Seminary. He'll teach historical and systematic theology, and he intends to stay in the country despite the financial crisis, pray for his family as they adjust to life in Lebanon, and ask God to strengthen believers across the Middle East and North Africa. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. And along with Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. You know, Rick, this is the time of the program where we usually take a look at the book, where we tie these events and what's taking place around the world to Bible prophecy.
1: That's right. We look at geopolitical events as they're taking place, and we tie them to Bible prophecy. But in this scenario right now, we are talking, and it's more of a pragmatic situation as we look at the situation on the ground with the missionary in China.
0: Well, as we're looking at the geopolitical aspect of the world, and of course we go to Bob McGinnis, Ken Timmerman, David Dolan, and we always look at things from way up high and my uh, our next broadcast partner that i'm talking to he goes yes uh, you you have all these guys that look at things from way up high high altitude and he goes but i look at things from the street and that person that we're going to have with us now is chris and chris is a missionary to china and we're going to take a look at really what is happening throughout china chris welcome to the program today well i, I appreciate that thank you very much Chris, so I have been looking at some things on uh, Twitter. Voice of the Martyrs put out a tweet. Pray for Christians in China. Hundreds of churches have been forced to close. Pastors and church members have been arrested or detained. And the online sale of Bibles has been prohibited. Now, I know that you... Uh, are in the state. But tell us what you're seeing as you're uh, teaching and uh, holding church services and teaching these pastors so that they can uh, share the, the gospel message.
10: Well, you're right. I uh, We did have to leave China almost five years ago, but I've been teaching some of the dear brothers and sisters that I met there um, online uh, using Zoom and highlighting prophecy in particular, because that's the one area that the the Chinese, including the pastors, are pretty unfamiliar with, mm. and especially because they don't get the information we get because of our Western news sources. And so I teach that, and uh, there's a real hunger there for, for them.
0: Do you know anything about churches and being closed and pastors being detained and, and the sale of Bibles stopping? I know that we have talked in the past about the controlling aspect of the, the CCP.
10: It definitely has. Let me tell you, I can tell you two things. One is there is definitely, I'm, I'm hearing from the first time just recently from the people in our group saying that they are very concerned about what they're saying, if they say something wrong, if they write something wrong in a message or whatever. Mm. This is the first time I've ever heard that. Mm. Before, they said, you know, they, they just didn't talk about it because it wasn't that big a concern. That's one thing. Number two, when I was there, we were able to buy Bibles by the carton and send them wherever we wanted to in the country. Mm. I worked with Chinese, Chinese uh, believers, and we did that. And, and people, individuals could go online, order Bibles, no problem, have them delivered to their home, everything. And, and since we've been back, that has definitely stopped. Yeah, no doubt about that. Three years ago, that just completely came to an end.
0: Mm. And we are continuing to pray for the decision that's going to come up when we talked to you before about internet. You know, the government watching what's coming in from the outside world. For instance, like you, as you are teaching through the technology to these pastors there, you not you're not in the land, but you can teach them uh, the word of God. And so we we want to make sure that we keep on top of that subject. And again, we focus on China for two reasons: one, because there are persecuted people there, but it plays a major role in Bible prophecy in the end times. And that's one of the reasons why we, when we talk to Colonel Bob McGinnis, why we are China watchers. Uh, And, uh, but uh, we're talking to Chris, who is a missionary to the Chinese and, uh, and actively doing that. Chris, I was looking at uh, another uh, tweet that came out that said the China's communist party, CCP announced plans to update the Bible to keep pace with the times. This is a passage in John chapter 8 that was added to it, and we're not going to go into that. I mean, we know when you add to the Word of God, we we understand what um, Scripture tells us happens to those people that add to the Word of God. Uh, yeah. But have you, obviously, the Chinese Communist Party is not in favor of Christianity as we know it.
10: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They, they have definitely... Uh, try to control things and uh, uh, and bring alongside, you know, the, their Marxist viewpoints. Absolutely, have done that all along. But I think it is intensifying since we've been back in the last two years in particular, and it sounds like it's taken another leap forward uh, with uh, the current president, who's actually going to be up for another term, which I think is. Uh, Part of the reason why he's doing that he yeah. himself as the next Mao Zedong,
0: yeah, they, they basically rewrote history so that he could go for a third yes. term um, Tell right. me again about uh, you saw a picture of Chairman Mao next to or at the at the foot of the cross, or how would how did that go
10: well um, since we've been back mm-hmm. I've been hearing reports that because I would go to the three self churches, my primary work was with house churches yeah and uh, but since We've been back, the government has been putting, making the the three self-churches, which are the government churches, put next to the cross, on the wall, pictures of a political leaders, Mao Zedong mm. and and others like that, more modern guys, even I, I assume Xi Jinping, but I know they have done that with Mao.
0: Wow. Wow. Well, we are living in the times, and I know that you are teaching from the book of Revelation chapter 17. You know, it's important in these days that people that want to know where we are, that they have the ability from God's word, correct?
10: Well, absolutely. I mean, the Word of God is light. It is life. It is truth. It is love, and we we've got to have
0: that. Uh, I'm so thankful, and I want people to pray for Chris, a missionary to China. Uh, it' real easy to remember that, um, and uh, the reasons why we don't give out his name is because we don't want any repercussions on him or his family, and uh, it makes it a little bit harder for the Chinese government, but. We do want you to continue on, Chris, to, uh, to carry forth that message. And thank you for giving us, really, that man-on-the-street look today as we're looking at uh, our world and why it is acting as it is. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Glory to God. We focus on China for two reasons. One, because it's in Bible prophecy, and we understand that Revelation chapter 16 talks about the kings out of the east that will come against Israel. And that takes place during the second half of the tribulation period. But the other reason that we focus on China and today, as we listen to a missionary from China talk to us about giving the gospel message to those in China. Remember, the world is lost and dying, and those that don't have Jesus Christ as their personal Savior are on their way to hell. And the only thing that needs to happen before the rapture of the church takes place is that people come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. But seeing how close that we are to all the events of Bible prophecy to take place helps us to understand that we are very close to the rapture of the church. So let's keep looking up
4: until...